0: Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We're wrapping up this, I think, kind of amazing book on learned optimism. And I know many of you have been here all month, and I appreciate that. To wrap it up, though, we're actually going to learn some more material today. I think we're going to have a little bit of fun. And I'm going to start by reading from this book. So here's how the the end portion starts. He offers us uh, a little bit of insight and a little bit of a warning. He says, life can inflict the same setbacks and tragedies on the optimist as on the pessimist. But the optimist weathers them better. As we have seen, the optimist bounces back from defeats of all kind. He picks up and starts over. Because of his resilience, the optimist may achieve more at work, at school, and on the playing field. The optimist has better physical health. The optimist may even live longer. But even when things go well for the pessimist, the pessimist is haunted by forebodings, of catastrophe. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever just felt, in fact, one time someone po- uh, uh, put it to me in a way that that kind of summed it up for me. They said, things just seem like they're going too well. I just know that this can't keep up. I just know that something bad is bound to happen. And I think that summarizes people with a good level, or I should say a large dosage perhaps of pessimism because no matter how good things might be at the moment there's always that thought that something else might come along that's going to that's gonna undermine it, that's going to take it away and, and they'll often find actual evidence for it, right? Haven't you noticed that truly people who are pessimists will actually you know it can be a, a sea of roses and they'll manage to get stuck on the thorns. (laughs) They'll manage to, to find the pieces of evidence in there that support the idea that things aren't going well. Well, today we're going to learn a couple particular tools so that when that catastrophe in the future seems like it's looming in our head, now not an actual fact, mind you, that may or may not happen, but when the catastrophe is looming in our heads, we're going to get a couple more tools for dealing with that today. But to lead us into that, I have a joke. I think it actually illustrates this, but you'll be the judge. So a minister was becoming terribly distracted by a fellow who came to church every Sunday, sat in the back row, and fell asleep during the sermon. (laughs) Inevitably, halfway through the sermon, the snoring would start up, and the preacher would lose his place. Now, the preacher, being somewhat of a pessimist, took it to heart, began thinking, well, I wonder if my preaching just isn't any good. I I wonder if I'm losing my grip. I wonder if everybody thinks it's this boring and they're just too polite to say anything. You can tell he was doing some of that pessimism work, right, that that we're learning to get out of. But one Sunday, he decided to do something about it. As he began to talk, the man, true to form, was falling asleep soon began to snore softly. Well, the preacher playfully whispered to everyone, whoever wants to go to heaven, stand up. Well, the entire congregation stood up, well, except for one. <laughs> everyone, of course, enjoyed the joke and sat down. But when the sleeping fellow started to snore again, the preacher decided on an even bolder hijinks. He shouted at the top of his voice, everyone who wants to go to hell, stand up. Well, this actually did startle the fellow. And, and, and kind of wondering what's going on, he rose to his feet. <laughs> In a dazed voice, he addressed the minister. Well, I don't know what's going on here today, but it looks like you and I are the only ones up for it. (laughs) So, when those crazy thoughts come to mind, right? We have the option of being like the preacher, a little worried about What's going on here? Am I really that boring? Am I causing people to fall asleep? Do you see? There's the idea that we can go down the path of pessimism if we choose, but also we can do something about it. Now, maybe that wasn't the kindest joke (laughs) to play on the fellow who is falling asleep, but it does illustrate one of the two methods of artfully dealing with negative thinking, in particular, patterns of negative feelings, uh, thinking. Is everyone here familiar with the idea of rumination? (laughs) Most everybody. Well, for those of you who maybe haven't heard it before, it, of course, has two meanings. Uh, One of them is simply what cows do, and so if you've ever been involved in in dairy farms or something like that, or really any cattle, uh, in order to actually digest that grass, they have to chew, and 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 I think scientists say something like, you know, they they tell us as children to chew our food carefully. If you are some kind of a, like a bovine animal, you have to chew it hundreds of, hundreds of times in order for it to be digestible. You can see where I'm going. That's called ruminating for animals, Ruminating for humans is when we take an unpleasant experience or an unpleasant thought and we chew on it and we chew on it and we chew on it and we chew on it. it. And with each iteration in our brain, every time we replay that unpleasant situation, every time we replay in our mind what went wrong, what we could have done, what we should have done, what could have happened, what might have happened, wouldn't it have been nice if this would have happened, if only I would have. Every time we do that, we're digging ourselves in a little deeper. Now there might be that thought that somehow I'll work it out in my head, but I gotta tell you, It never happens. We're never able to actually change the past by our thinking as though we would like to, right? Instead, we're digging the hole deeper, we're making it less likely that we will be able to enjoy ourselves. And what we tend to do is we tend to eternalize it. We tend to make conclusions from it. We tend to tell ourselves, well, I guess I'm just not very good at life. I'm, I'm not very good at marriage. I'm not very good at business. We, we tell ourselves the, the story over and over, and then we make conclusions about it, that we're unfit as parents or any number of other things. Well, first of all, the first new tool that we're going to learn today is something no more difficult than just distraction, we owe it to ourselves to get off that circular wheel, off of that ruminating kick. We owe it to ourselves to simply stop. And in fact, on the, uh, on the website that goes with this book, there's even a picture of Seligman like this, <laughs> right? The perfect visual of stop. So if there's something that you can do, maybe saying stop out loud, maybe, uh, maybe slapping yourself on the wrist, maybe uh, artfully doing something to distract yourself, calling a friend, doing whatever, believe me, whatever is necessary, is useful. It's worth stopping the thought. The thought is not productive. There's no reason, no particular purpose, purpose that we should replay it and replay it. And so whatever you can do, put a stop to it. Distract yourself. Now, for some of us, this may take a little bit of work. If there's a lot of passion around the thought, if there's a lot of guilt, if there's a lot of trouble, if this is something that you might say has been well rehearsed <laughs> in our minds, it may be, may be some troublesome, right? But you are worth it. You are worth getting off of the negative merry ground and to do something more positive with your life. So whatever's necessary, Right? Uh, go to a movie, read a book, call a friend, do all of the distracting exercises you need to do so that you can literally put a stop to the ruminative thinking, to that, going on over and over in your head. Now, with some practice you will get to where you can just kind of smile at yourself. At first, it may be difficult, right? We're training ourselves to behave in a different way that's usual. First of all, we have to catch ourselves doing it. Sometimes that won't happen until the cycle's been around quite a few times. That's okay. Don't beat yourself up. You'll get there. And with each time you do manage to derail the thought and start thinking something else or distract yourself in some other way, give yourself some credit for it. And it will get easier. After a while, you'll notice that after it's just gone around a couple times, and you'll just smile inwardly to yourself and go, oh yeah, that's where I used to go with that, (laughs) right? Now I'm going to do something different. So that's the plan. We're going to be gentle with ourselves, and we're going to notice, but we're definitely going to distract ourselves from ruminative thought. The other tool that we're going to learn today, I think is even more powerful in a way, because we're actually going to learn to dispute our thoughts one of the things that will occur to us, uh, especially when we begin having uh, negative thoughts that build on one another. So first, something negative happens, and that's no big thing, right? We have a flat tire, let's say, or we're, we're late at the bus stop, it's no big thing. But from there, we start building things up, don't we? We say to ourselves something like, oh my God, my whole day is going to be off because I have a flat tire, and no one's going to come by and help me change it, and if I call AAA, it'll take four hours. It always takes a long time for AAA to get here, And right? right, And, and we'll even go into places even more crazy, like, and I wonder if my spare tire is even any good. I don't remember rotating that darn thing for four years. It's probably flat too before you know it not only do we have a flat tire but we have a flat mind (laughs) our whole day just went flat and all it was was a tire so how can we stop this first of all we can begin disputing and there are four disputing methods that I want to briefly talk about one is finding contrary evidence so is my day really ruined because I had a flat tire wait a minute That's crazy, right? That's not necessarily true. It's only ruined if I ruin it, right? It's my perception of a ruined day. I could probably have a good day. In fact, I was uh, noticing uh, earlier earlier in the week, right, we were having fun with our water supply, right? (laughs) Uh, for those of us in the Portland area, anyway, they had an E. coli alert, and we were supposed to boil our water and a variety of things. So, so when the announcement first came out, now, uh, okay, this is your minister, and I admit that I did this, but, but it's part of my process to admit things and move on, right? So I started doing a little bit of the catastrophizing, right? I started going, oh my gosh, I'm in a hurry today and I need to brush my teeth and I can't go outside without a shower and, well, wait a minute, I don't drink water when I'm in the shower, but I do... (laughs) I do have water in my mouth when I brush my teeth and do I have time to boil the water and, and how long do I boil it and do we have time to look it up on the internet and do you see where I was going with this it's like I was taking a little and then suddenly now, now this is actually where this is the part I'm proud about up until now I'll just forget all that <laughs> but what I said to myself was wait a minute it's not like I'm the only person in this city that has this problem today, right? So is this the end of the world for everyone in the Portland (laughs) metropolitan area? (laughs) It's like Larry, get a grip. (laughs) Probably more than half of the people in this city are going to have a fine day today, right? Let's boil us some water and move on. (laughs) So this is the finding contrary evidence, right? The planet isn't going to end. There's no reason I can't have a good day. I begin asking myself, are these thoughts I'm having even true, or are they just built on my emotions? Are they just built on a mood I'm in, and can I do something about it? So finding contrary evidence, really important, You may find yourself having to actually look things up and do some research, right? I I was uh, working with a woman not too long ago that really just said, you know, at my age, I'm never going to find a job. And I had to think for a minute. Well, I know that jobs themselves may be in limited supply, but really, a woman in her 50s is never going to have a job I don't think that's true. In fact, most of the women that I know who are in their 50s have nice jobs. They got them somehow. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? We begin actually questioning the reality of some of these thoughts that come up, some of these thoughts that are plaguing us. The next thing that we can do is identify alternatives. Is there a thought that still matches what happened that would be a better thought. Do you see? I began actually replacing some of the negative thoughts I had with more positive ones. Um, From my front porch, I can actually see the bus stop that's that's nearest on McLaughlin Boulevard. And I noticed a man dressed uh, very nicely for work. And what I assume was his bus just zoomed past him. And the reason I assume it was his bus was I could see his face. (laughs) He was not a happy fellow, right? And I was thinking, I was picturing myself in his position, and I thought, oh my gosh, late for work, you know, day's going to go crazy, and I went, wait a minute, are there other explanations here? Are there other alternative ways of looking at this that would be more positive? I said, first of all, the bus was probably full. It's not like they were personally dissing this guy by passing him up, right? The bus was probably full. And what I know about TriMet buses is what? They know when the buses are full, they call for another one. And sure enough, within about two minutes, I saw him getting onto the next bus, right? Two minutes, he was as furious as, oh, get out, for any particular purpose. He simply could have chosen some alternative explanations for what was happening for him. Instead of going with the idea, oh, great, the bus driver just dissed me and didn't even stop. Instead, things are fine. I'll catch the next one. The third thing that you can do is to minimize the conclusions, and, and I have to say, being a, a theater fan and an opera fan, it does occur to me now and then that tragedy can just be big and glorious, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I want to put to you, is it useful, (laughs) especially when you're casting yourself in the role of King Lear, no good will come from it. And so, are we appropriately looking at what happens for its true impact on our life? And in the book, uh, uh, Seligman uses a, a great story of he came home early one day, a little unexpected, and found his son smoking marijuana in the garage and immediately where did his thoughts go this worthless kid he's never going to amount to anything always lying always sneaking around and then Seligman stopped himself he goes actually my teenage boy is a great kid he always tells the truth he's always been trustworthy why did i go there with it why did i suddenly paint myself like some uh, you know some cheap novel where everything goes goes gloriously wrong and everybody ends poorly Why go there? And that's what I would offer up to you. When bad things happen, it is us that make it into a catastrophe, right? The thing happened, but how we respond to it is totally up to us. We can minimize it. We can say, yeah. uh, For instance, uh, it wasn't too long ago, a a friend of mine unexpectedly found themselves without a job. Um, She got laid off. And you know she had the best attitude. She said... I was looking for work when I found this one." And she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. She said, you know, I'm very good at my work. I'm I'm a good worker, I'm a good employee, I have a lot of knowledge, I have a lot of skills. It's like, I'm not gonna have any trouble getting a job. And even if it takes me a little while, during that while I have a choice of whether I'm full of being afraid and, and angry and what's gonna happen, Or I can think of it as a little bit of a vacation. I'm doing job interviews and and touching up my wardrobe and my resume. She said, I intend to make the most of these probably just a few weeks while I'm getting ready for the next job. This is up to us. We get to paint it as a catastrophe, as, as you know, the final act of Aida when the stone's coming down and she's singing as the last air is sucked out of the tomb. Or it could be a few days of a holiday. Same situation. We get to choose how to interpret it. Now, the final one is a little difficult, I think, to grasp, and I want to use... Well, I'm going to use a dramatic example, and I'm going to use a simple, exa- simple example. The, the dramatic example is, um, you know, I lived through the 70s and 80s and 90s when probably about 20% of my friends died of AIDS. And I still remember the time when, uh, back then, you know, there w- there was no treatment for it, and they were urging all the young men, uh, the, the gay young men, to go in and get blood tests. And we always went in pairs because... You know, I wasn't going to be there by myself, right, and, and, and get news. And in particular, the news then felt like a death sentence. There, there was no treatment for it. You know, the expectancy was less than a year. You know, you could go from being healthy to being incredibly ill and then dead within a year because there no treatment for it. And so we used to go a, 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 as buddies, and you know, and, and, and we, would even, we would even go as buddies to hear the results because the tests were bad enough. But then the results you had to come in, sometimes up to two weeks later, and it just would feel like a death sentence to anyone. Now, I want to ask you, sometimes the facts can't be disputed. When you get a diagnosis of being HIV positive, even today, there's really not a disputing of it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, minimizing it actually is not necessarily a good thing because there are things you need to do. You, you can't ignore it. And, and it's the same whether it's any kind of a medical diagnosis or, or something going on in your life. You know, we have to address it. And opti- optimizing it out of our consciousness is actually a bad thing. But I want to ask you, how useful is it to self-identify with harmful truths? It may be important that we deal with the business of it. But having, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm sick, I'm ashamed, I'm awful, my family will hate me. Is it useful to have these thoughts running through our heads, even if they're true? I would put to you that we have a choice how we react even to the unpleasant truths in our life. And, and again, I'm not saying that we should pretend that bad things uh, not only have happened, but that bad things indeed will happen. Sometimes the truth is that we do perhaps only have a few years to live. Sometimes the truth is that a, that a certain disease or a certain way of being in the world has its natural limit, and we even need to make plans for that limit. But I ask you, how do you want to go out? Do you want to go out filled with fear? Do you want to go out uh, afraid of every moment, of, of, of isolating yourself to minimize the, the hurt and the impact of the world? Do you, do you want to see your world get smaller and smaller? Or do you want to live every instant filled with as much joy and hope as you can? So perhaps sometimes the facts are not to be disputed, but I would ask you how useful they are. How useful is it to hold on to some of the negative, even truths about ourselves, about the world, about our situation, or would it simply be more useful to focus our thoughts on something else? If there's business to be done, let's get it done. Let's make sure we have the right medications, the right exercise programs. Let's make sure that whatever is you know, spiraling a bit out of our control, let's make sure that what can be controlled is controlled, right? I'm all for doing our business and being on top of things. And I don't need to self-identify myself with a disease. I don't need to allow my life to be dictated by some kind of a a label or a diagnosis or someone else's truth. So that's what I want to leave you with today is this idea that we are always at choice that truly are thinking, whether it's pessimistic, whether it's optimistic, whether it's believing that the future is, is, is full of love and light, or believing that the future is, is a hostile place and full of negativity, ultimately the choice is ours. And I would also like to leave you with the thought that it doesn't really have much to do with what happened. What happened may have been what preceded the thoughts, right? Whether they be optimistic, oh my gosh, I'm having a great day today, and that would be the truth of it, (laughs) or whether something happened that triggered thoughts of negativity. The thing that happened is just the thing, and you are not the thing. You are marvelous, creative beings that have the power right within your own minds to make something different happen. You can choose to uh, uh, refute. You can choose to um, uh, uh, tell yourself a different story. You can find out what the truth of the matter is. You can even just decide that that information isn't all that useful for you. You have the power to find each moment as best you can filled with love and light. You have the power in each moment to sense joy on the horizon. You have the power, even in your last days, to know the beauty and the goodness of life. This is who you are. This is your power. And I'd like us, with each passing day, to begin taking some of that power back from our circumstances. I'm going to close today with a final quote from this lovely book, Learned Optimism. In fact, this is the last, uh, the last material in the book that I'm quoting here, and we'll end with a prayer, of course. He says, what you have now is simply more freedom. You have additional choices of thought. You can choose to use optimism when you judge that less depression or more achievement or better health are important to you. But you can also choose not to use it when you judge that clear sight or owning up to something is called for. Learning optimism does not erode your sense of values or your judgment. Quite the contrary, it frees you to use the tools of your mind to better achieve your goals. The benefits of this kind of optimism are, I believe, without limit. Let us pray. There is one power. One life, one love, one joy, one peace. I call this thing God, but but it goes by, by many names, of course. Allah, the Beloved, the Divine Feminine. All names for that one thing. And what I know about that one thing is that it is filled with good. That this universe is filled with a staggering array of good. And for myself on this day, I claim as much as I can hold. I claim as much as I can embrace. I I sense my own life just filled with the sweetness of life, with the the love of friends and family, with the uh, abundance of, of comfort and goodness that all, truly all good things come to me. I recognize it. I accept it. And as it is true for me, I know without question that it is within the province of each person here to have that same degree of acceptance in their own lives, to see the universe in its richness, to open the arms wide, and to accept it fully. This is our gift. This is the the promise that God has given us, that there is good for us, and we can choose it. And I am simply grateful on this day. I'm grateful to be here in the presence of God as it takes the form of these wonderful people. Grateful to be here as a witness to love. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.